Welcome to Alberta Conservation Association's Harvest Your Own podcast, the resource for everything hunting, navigating through the field, the butcher shop, and the kitchen. Life is all about great food. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fenson, an avid outdoor enthusiast who has worked as a freelance journalist, photographer, and public speaker for over three decades. I have hunted, fished, and foraged all my life and hope to share my passion for the outdoors. Along the way, I want to encourage everyone to harvest wild proteins and enjoy the satisfaction of providing the next meal for your family. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and inspire individuals to get outdoors and create a connection between food, health, and your future meals. Welcome to Harvest Your Own. Today, I've got an old friend, uh, somebody I've spent a lot of time with in the field and on the water, Mario Friendy. He's uh, currently with Final Approach and uh, he's innovated their entire line of decoys and blinds, and he's also the owner of Columbia River Decoys, uh, which are specialized handmade decoys. This guy knows waterfowl. You know, many of us uh, have hunting disciplines. We chase big game and upland and waterfowl. Well, Mario is the waterfowl guy. It's uh, what pushes his buttons in life. It's what he lives for, and uh, it's always a pleasure to spend time in the field with him. And there was no better person I could think of to talk about early season tactics for ducks and geese. Welcome to the show, Mario. I appreciate it. That was a that was a pretty good intro. I wish <laughs> I wish I chased big game and stuff like you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I just I can't do it. I just don't have the. Well, I shouldn't say I don't have the time, but my mind is just constantly on wing beats. <laughs> yeah, and you, you know, know, some people so, will understand that, and some won't. But when you and I go bird hunting. It's like we think the same language and set out our decoys and our blinds in a similar way to what we're thinking. And then we do tweaks and stuff afterwards. Anyone that's spent any amount of time in a waterfall blind knows that uh, there's always the decoy tweaker. And that's the guy that's out. He's got to move that far one a bit more to the left and one into the right, open the hole a little bit, uh, you know, adapt for a changing wind. Uh, I think that's you and I. There's no, there's no doubt. I mean, that's, you know, but that's, but that could also, you know, that could mean the difference between, you know, setting the next group up like right in your face or, or, you know, not getting a great shot. So, I mean, that's, that's super important. You know what I mean? We always, we always talk about that, you know, don't, don't wait to make a change because if you make a change and, and just like you said, I mean, man, we've made thousands of changes during our times out and, you know, and listen, they not, they, they didn't all work, but if it didn't work, then we changed it again until we got it to work. So, so yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. That's a, that's a key thing. Yeah. It's adapting to think like a bird, no matter how weird it gets. (laughs) Right. Right. You're definitely always trying to think like that, you know. Absolutely. From what they see from above and what you have on the ground or the water, it makes a big difference. Where did you get started in hunting? I know that you did a lot of hunting with your your dad and your your pops way back in the day. Uh, What are your early memories of waterfall hunting? Well, we, we grew up in Pennsylvania where it was, you know, deer hunting, you know, still is too, you know, is king. I mean, there's more deer hunters there than then some states have people. So the deer hunting there is, is, is super huge. And I learned early on that 
like that just wasn't for me. You know, the woods were crowded. Chasing the animals was different. And I just remember, like, I just remember my dad taking us to this this old reservoir. And we weren't old enough to much do anything. Like, we had to get carried out because we only had, like, knee-high rubber boots. You know, and we'd have to sit on like these stumps or sit on something while my dad and the dog, you know, shot ducks. And I was just like, I just remember from an early age, like that was, that was like it. Like the dog part, like everything about that was, was it. And that just kept like rolling and rolling. Like the goose hunting in Pennsylvania at the time when we were younger was incredible. The duck hunting, not so much. So, so soon as everybody started deer hunting, nobody else did anything so we could scout and find the birds and like we i don't want to say we had it all to ourselves but man it was good (laughs) (laughs) well you've been up to alberta here many times and you know that we're spoiled with opportunity and that's a really good point you know we have lots of big game opportunities but somebody that likes to hunt and somebody that likes to do lots of shooting somebody that wants to have fresh proteins on the plate every week during the season, waterfowl hunting is phenomenal here. You know, from September 1st right till Christmas pretty well, you can be out on a daily basis and find things. And it's that early season opportunity. That no lot, yeah, that early season opportunity is what lots of people uh, come for. And I'll just make a quick comparison. If you go down in the, in the States, there are some early season teal hunts along Texas, Louisiana, and that is our adult drake teal that migrate out of Alberta, Saskatchewan, like mid-August or some of them even earlier, they go down uh, to that Gulf Coast and get ready for the winter. So they create some early season opportunity, but in the States, most of the seasons don't open up till November or even December uh, and they're late opportunities. So we have a unique opportunity. Uh, A lot of the ducks and geese are raised here and on opening day, they're plentiful. They're on every wetland. Uh, the trick is, how do you approach it? Like, it's almost overwhelming. There's there's ducks everywhere. They're spread out. Uh, sometimes you can find concentrations. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, how do you approach early season? Let's start with ducks. How do you st- approach early season ducks to be successful uh, by getting out after work or spotting and, and getting out for a morning hunt with friends? Well, I think I think you hit it right at the start. So, so. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of places. So I would say, and I've been up there and we've done it before. Like what, what was the summer? What was the spring summer like as far as water? Do you guys have a lot of water? So that means there's a lot more opportunities and a lot of places to look. If you guys had a low water year, that means the birds are concentrated on the water that is there. So you could get on, uh, and, and, you know, there's a ton of apps. There's, I mean, there's even Google Earth. Like, okay, what near you is a big enough piece of water or a small piece of water that you can go check after work or on your way home or to work? Or if everybody's working from home, you know, depending on what's gone on the past couple of years, you know, can you sneak out in the morning or afternoon and take a look at a place? Because if it's, if it's just you and the dog or you and a couple buddies and you don't need a huge shoot, go take a look at some little wetlands. You guys have an enormous amount of public managed areas that 
Like literally when we come up there, I, to me, it blows me away. The amount of like public wetlands that have been worked on and developed for opportunities. And I would say start there. So is there, is there a site that they can look? Oh, is it the, you know, is it, go ahead. Absolutely. The discover guide uh, put out by the Alberta Conservation Association uh, lists over 700 conservation sites. Uh, I would say the majority of them have lots of water on them. And, you know, you bring up some good points. There's lots of access. There's crown basins. There's uh, these conservation sites, ducks unlimited properties, lots of places to go where you don't really have to do a lot of legwork. You don't need a lot of equipment. And they're perfect for early season. And the thing is sorting out what holds enough birds to make uh, a shoot that's going to last for several hours or one that's going to give you a one-time opportunity. So, you know, the key is to watch the birds. Is there eight of them on there or is there a hundred? Are they in small groups and spread out? Uh, Start paying attention when you're driving around to what you see on the wetlands and you'll find that those those mid-sized wetlands are probably key for the early season hunts. Uh, you're going to see a diversity of ducks, everything from teal, gadwell, widgeon, mallards, pintails, you know, a real diverse bag, which is awesome. And yeah. you're going to find that they often sit together. So what would you be looking for on a mid-sized wetland to set up for early season ducks? I think I would just be looking at the numbers of what's there and and what they're doing. You know, is it a place where they're just roosting in the morning and leaving? You know what I mean? Is it a small enough place where they could go out to feed and come back, you know, say 10 o'clock or something, and you could have a morning shoot or an afternoon shoot and not disturb everything? Uh, you know, another thing to look at is, you know, is is this wetland like super packed with birds? And do I want to shoot it and disturb it? Or do I want to find the neighboring field that they're going to that's, you know, that the farmers have harvested and the birds are going to the field. Do I want to shoot them in the field or do I want to shoot them on the water? You know, what will, what will set me up for some success for, you know, not one day, but like you were saying, like, how can I hunt this area or whatever for the next couple of weeks? You know, that brings up a really good point. And there's a lot of people listening that are first timers starting or uh, have ambition to start waterfall hunting we're really talking about two complete different animals. We have mallards and pintails yeah. that are going to go out and feed on the grain and peas and different things that are in the fields. Yep. But, you know, the beauty of our early season is the teal and the gadwell and the widgeon and a bunch of other species, they live on the water. That's where they feed, you know, widgeon grass and sago pondweed yep. and duckweed and different things that are in the wetlands is what they feed on. So those mid-sized wetlands are great. And where you can find a complex of wetlands where there's several water bodies and they start, you know, these birds know that they're going to have to migrate. Somehow they know that and they exercise regularly. So they jump between ponds, they have daily flights, they're out moving around. Uh, Early season, they're in family units and that's really important to remember as well. Um, So those wetland complexes I find are really good for shooting on the water uh, and targeting the dabblers. And if you... If you're like most established Alberta waterfowl hunters, you know, the mallard and the pintail are still king and they prefer to shoot them in fields and not have to wear waders or have a dog. So there's two great opportunities that you can go to um, depending on what you have for access, equipment, and uh, whether you want to hunt water or fields. 
right? Right. Well, how many times? I mean, how many times have we looked at a a, a, a big wetland and there's a lot of birds there, but then all of a sudden, <clears throat> then all of a sudden we see them jumping from the big water over to some little pond, which is just off to the side of it or down or whatever. And we end up not disturbing the big water, going into the little spot, the smaller pond and shooting a couple birds and having a great hunt and then walking out and never disturbing the big water. So, you know, that's, that all comes down to scouting and what's going on because there's, there's another, there's another time where, A, you're not disturbing the big wetland. You're over on some little side and you're getting, you know, like you said, the family groups, you're getting four to five birds, or you're getting six birds and they're coming over and you're shooting a couple of birds and you get a couple of gadwall and some teal and maybe some widgeon or, and maybe a mallard or two and pintail. And, and you walk out of there with a ton of species and some great birds, you know, that's a cool thing, you know, or you could look at, at, at say, Hey, I want to, you know, this is a big enough piece of water. I want to shoot it. And there's everything on here. And all of a sudden you see some canvas backs or redheads and you're like, and you light up and you go perfect. You know, you could put out some diver decoys and the puddle ducks and you could have a combo shoot in, and who knows what's going to happen. So that's a cool opportunity. I mean, there's, there's so much diversity up there that it just depends on, you know, it's almost like you said, it's like overwhelming. There's so many birds, so much, so many species, so many places to go. Like, how do you narrow it down? start close to home, start looking, and then, you know, build as you go. Like, what do I really want to chase? Do I want to chase some teal? Do I want to shoot this? Like, look what's there and then, you know, get the decoys according to what you need and you're set up and off you go. You know, you're only going to get better as you go. We all know that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know lots of people early season like to hunt big water just because it's uh, your past shooting or shooting birds working the shoreline or a specific bay where they're flying in and sure. out. And you can always find success. But if you do pay attention and hit those uh, intermediate wetlands off the big water where those birds have flights and regular, you can have a lot more action sometimes. Now, people that are looking for more information on getting started with waterfowl hunting or decoys or blinds or shotguns or shot size, you know, visit Harvest Your Own. They've got a great amount of information that will set you off in the right direction. This podcast is produced for Harvest Your Own, a program dedicated to those who want to reconnect with food and health through their experiences outdoors. HarvestYourOwn.ca is a resource for individuals to learn more about hunting and the outdoors. There's information to get you started and ensure that your compass stays pointed in the right direction to be successful. Where's your next meal coming from? All right. Yeah, there's so much. Like you said, it could be overwhelming, but you know, just just start from the, the bottom and work your way up. You know what I mean? Just go slow. It's not it's not hard to get into a, a waterfowl hunt and have a good hunt right at the start. Not uh, for you guys. It's yeah, absolutely. You know, and our our hunting is a lot different than yours. When you hunt, uh, uh, you're in Oregon right now. Uh, if you're out hunting the Columbia River, you're putting out a fair number of decoys. In Alberta, like let's talk about what we need for hunting decoys on water and what we can use in the field because – it's not a big investment to get started. You can actually go to a wetland and just pass shoot birds without decoys. But if you were to take six or a dozen duck decoys on lines and throw them out there, you're going to have birds fly by to have a look. There's no doubt you guys can get started very easily 
you know, I, I, and you could do the same, like, let's take the water. So, okay, a dozen decoys on the water. I would add a spinning wing decoy just to catch attention. You know what I mean? So you could go with a dozen decoys and you could use the spinning wing decoy or not. You know what I mean? It'll just help you from further away, get some more attention and they see it and come to you. But you could easily, you know, look at a wetland and say, Oh, here's a little, here's a little point I want to be on and the wind's coming this way. I want to sit on the point, put the decoys out and absolutely get some shooting. So, you know, you can get started super easy with a dozen decoys and, and get right after it on the water. You know, you, you raise a couple of good points. Uh, spinning wing decoys are actually illegal in some places because some managers feel that they are, they work too well. They give the hunter an unfair right. advantage. So if you're looking to get started, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever done this. I've done it a few times. I've hunted over just a spinner and it is amazing how they draw the birds in. I, I, it's, it's happened to us a couple times down here. Like I remember being in, uh, Idaho one time and we literally, the, 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 the mallards were pouring into this field and we were not like we had, we were set to hunt like the river and everything else. And we had no field decoys. And somebody said, we'll just put the spinner out and we'll sit in the corn. And literally we shot birds with nothing else than that. So <laughs> yes, it is effective. Right. <laughs> scary effective sometimes yeah so i guess the big message to people that are trying to get started or trying to figure out what to do early season is get out there pay attention to the birds watch them you don't need a big investment in decoys you know six decoys you can get started in the field or sorry on the water if you're hunting fields you can use the same floater decoys and set them out you can make silhouettes you can buy silhouettes but the majority of albertans actually use goose decoys to decoy ducks um, they're just dark right. objects and, uh, friends of the feather flock together. So to, so to speak. And it, it's not about having a green head decoy in your spread early season. It's about having dark shapes that look like ducks and geese. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, if you, if you are hunting in the field, the, the geese, I mean, for the ducks, the geese see, uh, the ducks see the geese as more of a, a, a big brother and they're watching out and, and it's a confidence bird. So they will absolutely come to that. And then you could also see them from farther away. So the birds can, the ducks can key in on the goose decoys and come. So, so definitely that is, that's a huge thing. And if you, you know, if you had a spinning wing or you did it, doesn't matter. Like, like that can help or the goose decoys, like absolutely. There's, there's a lot of different ways to go on that. Right. I'm going to try to transition here into geese and finish with ducks. The most important consideration, whether you're hunting water or a field, isn't so much the decoys or the number of decoys you have. It's how well you're hidden. So when we're hunting our wetlands in Alberta, you know, we can find cattail fringe, uh, long stem bulrush, uh, willows, uh, tall white top or different grass that uh, makes great cover. And if you walk those shorelines and find lots of duck tracks and feathers and you know that it's where they're hanging out or you, you, you use your binoculars, good optics, like even a spotting scope and binoculars to, to spot the yeah. edges and pay attention to where those birds are before you go set up, they're there for a reason and they will return there. But always find a spot where you can hide naturally with good cover and your success rate will automatically go up. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're hunting the water, there's you're going to find an edge where they're 
there's enough cover to hide you and a friend or two or the dog and, and, and definitely do that because that also cuts down on your cost to get started. You don't need to go buy a blind. You don't need to pack in a blind and have more stuff. Like you could easily get started, you know, like you said, taking six decoys and going down or a dozen and going down and, 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 and crouching down in the, the grass and putting the decoys out and shooting some birds and having a great time. So you could easily get started like that. So yes, I agree. You know, and the, the nice part is if you spend a day or two out there early season in Alberta, there's so many birds, there's so many wetlands, there's so much opportunity. Uh, you might go through some uh, ammunition, but you will get some birds and to figure out how to process them properly and to cook them so everyone enjoys them, go to Harvest Your Own. There's a incredible library of recipes and food tips on there to get you started. This podcast was made possible by Alberta Conservation Association and the Harvest Your Own community. If you're interested in harvesting your own food, there's a comprehensive collection of information to gain insight and knowledge, head to the field, harvest your own protein, prepare it, and taste the results. Harvestyourown.ca is a library of information from getting started and geared up to processing, butchering, and cooking wild game to make the connection between health and food. I mean, obviously, you're you're going to have a good time and do all that, but then you're coming home with all these birds that you can make these incredible dishes with. So it, it's it goes full circle. So it, and and don't be afraid, like you said, don't be afraid to get started and just do it because there's so many resources out there. The Harvest Your Own site has a ton of stuff, and and there's just so much to learn, but you're not in a hurry. You're just going to have fun. And the more you're out there, the more you're going to learn. That's definitely one of the things to say. Every time out there, you're going to figure out something else. Yeah, you know, that's true. I've been out, uh, I don't know how many times I've been out bird hunting, but you can learn something every time you go if you pay attention. Just uh, how to, you know, reset for the changing wind or look at how birds are approaching and how you could pull them a little closer to the blind instead of having them finish further out. Lots of little things like that. You know, early season goose hunting in Alberta is spectacular. We have lots of local honkers that are raised in our backyard, basically. And, uh, you know, they're, most of those birds are going to be flying by early August. And by mid-August, they're already looking for fields that have been cut for silage or, or harvested early. And if not, they're actually hitting pastures and other things where they can get out and graze a bit more. They're starting to get a little bit social. They're grouping up. But the important thing to remember is they're still in family units. You'll see them come in groups of five, six, seven, eight, and they'll leave in those same groups. And our ducks do the same. But uh, when we're setting up for early season geese, uh, there's a couple things that I think you need to keep in mind is keep it simple. The season's long, and there's uh, probably going to be a time to pull out all the tricks that you have in your bag. But early season, you know, tell us what you would do for an, a simple set for honkers. I mean, that's a key thing, and, and, and we discuss that all the time, is, is literally don't pull out all your great tricks at the start because if you're in it for the long haul, you know, like we are, we, we go very basic at the beginning. And the birds, as you chase them throughout the year, as you know, they will let you know when, you know, you'll know when things are getting tougher and you need to pull out another trick. So early on, I don't think you need a lot of decoys. You know, if you have 
two dozen or so or three dozen. You could have silhouettes. You could have shells. You could have whatever. The only thing that I would go about in that is just what you said. They are in family groups. So when you set your decoys, it's, it's warm at the start of the season. They're not super tight. So you put five or six over here. Then you put another group over here of four or five. And then another group over here of, uh, you know, five or six. So they're in family groups. So definitely separate them and, and go back to your hide and what you're doing. You absolutely have to make sure you're hid. You know, that's still the number one thing all the time. You know, that be where the birds are, obviously, but the hide is always in. That, that's a really good point because I've had lots of people say, oh, it's opening day. The birds won't know the difference. I'm going to put my, my layout blind out and not brush it in. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now that even though they're young, naive birds that have never been hunted, they're not coming into something that looks that strange in a field. Yeah, they, they still look at something like that. You know, and, and, and we always go back to, I always go back to the, you know, the birds, the birds don't have reasoning, let's call it, but they get conditioned and they know when something isn't right. <laughs> so like you said, you don't grasp up your, your blind and you don't, you know, brush it in so it looks natural in, in the field or you put it underneath a swath so you can hide it better or whatever. Like they figure out that doesn't look right and they don't need to be there because there's another field half a mile away or whatever that they could just cruise right past you and go. So the details are huge all the time, whether it's from the beginning of the season to the end. Yeah, and keep in mind that early season there's lots of vegetation, so it's really easy to build a proper hide. You can cut grass, you can use straw, you can uh, you know get whatever's in the crop, uh, pea vines and stuff, and, and stuff those layout blinds and make them disappear. And, of course, stand-up blinds, you can cut uh, willows and stuff to make it look like a natural um, group of trees out in the field. And all of them work. You don't have to do anything fancy, but you need to hide is the main uh, message that I'd give for any hunter. Early season, you're going to get away with being right out in the open in the field. As things go on, you might have to pull to an edge or on a field transition or a grass finger that comes or up against a rock pile where you can conceal a little bit better. But... Early season, go where you saw the birds feeding. They're there for a reason. And uh, don't need a lot of decoys, like Mario said. Put them in family units. Just make sure you leave a large enough landing group for a family to come into the center in front of your blinds or your shooting lane. Keep in mind, the birds are always going to land into the wind. So uh, you can set up for that. You know, that does uh, create some problems sometimes. They come into the wind, and that means that you're looking... Uh, directly into the sun, whether it's sunrise or sunset. How would you change your setup, Mario, to deal with uh, sun? Because, you know, whether you're a novice or a seasoned hunter, birds with a glaring sun behind them is almost impossible to get on while they're in range. So it's uh, it's something that I think is important to talk about. You know, I mean, if, if, I, had, if I had a choice, a lot of the time... Uh, I would rather shoot the birds or have them come in from the side versus straight at you, uh, especially as the season gets longer. So if, if we're looking uh, straight out and the wind is coming from our right to left, it means the birds are going to come right from our left, right up into the decoys. 
And if I can get rid of that sun, say the sun is, is somewhere else, you know what I mean? So I'm not looking into it. Maybe they're looking into it. I will take that anytime because then that also gives you your hide, I guess, a little bit of, uh, you know, forgiveness. They're not looking right at the hide, right at you. You can move a little bit or, you know, maybe you have the kids out or whatever else. So, you know, you're, you're, they're not on focus on the blind. They're looking at the decoys and what's in front of that, which is nothing because the blind is on the side. I would much rather shoot birds on the side than, than right at you, especially if things just start getting it, you know, difficult and harder in the season. I think it's an important message for first-time goose hunters, too, where people without a lot of experience, shoot a few clay targets and see if you have more success shooting them coming right at you or coming towards you or left to right, right to left, and you can move within your spread of decoys to take advantage of your best shooting. So if, you know, you're shooting best uh, right to left, you set up in the arm of decoys where the birds are going to come into the wind and you can naturally swing uh, your shotgun in a way that you're going to have higher success rates. You don't need to be directly upwind of them. You can get on the sides. Uh, there's lots of advantages from not being seen to, you know, shooting the way you shoot best. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I mean, you know, because not not everybody, you know, because there's always there's always there's always somebody that says, oh, I, I I I hate that kind of shot. You know what I mean? Or I never make that shot. Well, then just like you said, then set set up the decoys and your hunt, what's going to benefit you the most. That, I mean, that makes, that's just details and, and making, you know, the most of it. You know what I mean? That's what you're trying to do. Absolutely. And spending a little bit of time shooting clay targets during the summer uh, is really going to increase your success rate when opening day does roll around. Instead of practicing on the first birds that come in, uh, shoot a few clays, get that lead down, get your confidence, uh, get your trigger control, get to know your gun a little better. You know, if you need to make adjustments to length of pull, you can um, put on a recoil pad to lengthen the gun or look at a different stock to shorten it or do some custom work. You can find lots of information on the internet to do that. So it allows you to prepare properly to be more successful. Now, Again, in Alberta, we're spoiled rotten. We have such a diversity of geese. We have lots of local honkers throughout the province that are big birds, but we get lessers and we get uh, what we call cacklers, but we also get a lot of speckle bellies. Um, what most people in Alberta don't realize is that the speckle belly migration route is very narrow. Alberta gets the lion's share of them uh, halfway through Saskatchewan, they pretty much end. So we're in a very unique area where we get great opportunity. And specks are a different creature to to hunt. You know, this year our limits are going up to eight birds a day. Uh, it's always been five out of the eight, but, uh, you know, the it's been put forward that we can take a full limit of dark geese being specks, which is awesome because they're incredibly good eating. Uh, and they're just fun to hunt. But you have to set up for specks a little different. Again, when we talk about family gr- groups and units, um, the best way to describe it is go out when you're looking at these birds and spotting, watch what they do in the field because they're really hunkered tight together. You'll see them migrate in there. They're early migrants. They come like the third week of August, they start hitting Alberta, but they stick in those family units right through to close to the end of September. So uh, that's key in terms of how you set up their little blobs. They're spread out more than the Canada's, you know, they want more space. They're still a little bit more territorial 
And uh, the best advice I can give you is they're an Arctic goose. So use a speckle belly yep. call. I mean, I was I was just gonna say that because they are they are a very social, vocal bird, and and we can get into you know the calling a little bit if you want on all the birds, but you know very basic stuff early. You don't need to once again bring out all the bells and whistles on your calling tactics and call aggressively and do all this stuff like you just need to be really basic at the start and that goes for ducks and honkers and and specs you don't need to do a ton of notes you just need to keep them interested in the decoys to come in to take a closer look so you can get a good shot but if i if i would say anything you're 100 percent right the the specs are so drawn to their vocalizations and other specs they are extremely tuned into that yeah i think it's important for people to understand this because uh ducks early in the season they're not social they're not yelling at each other talking aggressively it's a family group talking with mom everything's fairly subtle it's quack quack you know it's 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 real basic stuff our honkers are doing the same you know uh, if you can honk on a call uh, uh two notes you're probably gonna bring the birds in, don't overdo it. You know, uh, they're going to talk to you more than you should be talking to them. When we get the Arctic birds coming in, that's when things change. I mean, uh, the specs, you need to talk spec usually to get them to come in, although they will come into the Canada calls and decoys early. Uh, and the snow geese, the last couple of years, have been here the first week of September too, and they're extremely social. If you don't talk to snow geese, there's something yeah. wrong. That's how they look at it. So, you know, you can use electronic calls, but... Uh, Years ago, I remember one of my first successful snow goose hunts. Uh, I think there were six of us on the trip, and the guy that organized it had a shoebox, and he pulled it out, and he walked down the line of hunters, and he said, take a call. And there was lots of guys who said, I don't know how to call. He said, I don't care. Grab a call. And we all just made noise. It's, some of them sounded like a gazoo. Some of them sounded like honkers. Some of them sounded like <laughs> snow geese. But it worked. And, you know, that's the thing about Arctic geese, especially snow geese, is their social um, that talk back and forth is very important to their, their confidence in order to know that they're going to be safe, uh, to come and land in your decoys, which of course they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're loud and lots of noises going on. And, and, and the same thing, you know, when we talk about, you know, the lessers are an Arctic bird as well. It's a smaller goose, it's a smaller Canada goose. They make lots of noise. They're always in bigger groups. You know what I mean? So, so like you say, when the Arctic birds, which are your specks, your lessers, your snows, when they start migrating through, that's when you probably need to start making a little bit more noise. You know what I mean? Because that means the migration is, is going, they're starting to come through and, and yeah, you need to be a little more, you know, noisy on the calls. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a big difference. You know, I hope we provided a pretty good uh, glimpse as to uh, some tips and tricks for early season birds. But I'll just remind everyone that uh, there's a lot of them around September 1st, right through the month of September. Um, Probably that third week of September, we start getting a big push of migrants coming out of the north. You know, lots of mallards, a diversity of geese, uh, the speckle belly migration is in, in peak and the snows are, are really ramping up. So 
get out there September 1st. Make some noise, enjoy some duck poppers or some bulgogi tacos, and uh, keep eating those birds as you go through the fall to allow you to just keep going out and harvesting new ones. And enjoy the resource. I mean, we are spoiled. You know, Mario, you talk a lot about uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the way things were in the States and what people don't realize is there's lots of places where you have to pay to hunt on a specific lease and you got one blind and you're there all year. We have the province. It's our playground. Yeah. We can get out and do whatever we want. And uh, we still have uh, an open access system where you can knock on anyone's door and get permission. You don't have to pay for access like in other parts of North America. So uh, I really encourage people to get out and take advantage of it. Uh, it's easy to get hooked, uh, but it's a great pastime and it's a great way to spend time with family and friends and, and just be in the outdoors. Agreed. Yep. You know, we use a, a variety of things. Uh, I think there's been a real uh, switch in the last year or two again back to uh, silhouettes. They're lightweight, they're inexpensive, <laughs> they're easy to yeah. carry, they're easy to store. And that's really, you know, a good option if you use some dark, uh, like, Canada silhouettes, for instance, you can shoot everything over them in the fields. Ducks, specks, no doubt. honkers, lessers, cacklers. So, you know, do a little bit of research if you are in the decoy market. And, uh, you know, you can always go to Final Approach. Where would people find some information on your decoys? Yeah, you can just go to fabrand.com. And, and the, the best thing about this fall is we are finally coming back to dealers in Canada, uh, we will have uh, the Canadian Tire in Calgary, which is the McLeod Trail Store, is going to be stocked full, but they will also be helping us. We'll have a, a, an actual final approach online for Canada. So whether you're in Quebec or Ontario or Manitoba or Saskatchewan, you'll be able to order any of the stuff that we have and it won't be shipping from the U.S., so there's no duties. It's just coming straight to you from Canada. So we are like, I'm over the moon about this because we've been working on this to get this back to Canada for so long. And I'm so excited that we're going to be there in the fall. So Final Approach has always been such a huge brand in Canada. And, you know, the company had gone through a ton of changes. So we're finally getting it back to you know, where it was, and especially in Canada. It was so important to the brand. So I'm, I'm over the moon about it. I, I, I'm so excited about this fall. Well, hunters will be too, because it's hard to find uh, waterfall hunting gear. You know, with uh, the world pandemic, we've had a lot of that stuff is difficult to get. And just another reminder to people, you don't have to build thing, uh, an entire flock overnight. You know, if you build it yep. one, one piece at a time and take care of it, most of this stuff is excellent quality. It's going to last you a lifetime. And uh, build it a little bit at a time, a little bit each year, and before you know it, uh, you probably have, uh, you wonder why you had so much. Uh, some of us have that problem. <laughs> and I think we call it a, a, a decoy addiction. And I know some of my friends out there will be laughing right now because they're in the same boat. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you wonder why you, you're like, why did I buy that smaller trailer? I should have just bought the bigger one. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. So, yeah, yeah but is. build it build it one at a time. Yeah, you know, chip away at it. I always tell everybody, you know, get the best stuff that you can afford for what you need, and you just build on it. You know what I mean? So, you know, some decoys, maybe a blind if you need it, if you're not hunting the wetlands or whatever. 
super easy. And the stuff, like you said, we're, we're, we're building as, as, as best the quality we can. So it does last you. So you won't have to replace stuff, you know, all the time. So yeah, whatever you need, you just chase it and, and get what you need to get the job done and enjoy the resource and, and just get out there. You guys definitely have tons of opportunities. So go for it. Thanks for joining us today, Mario. We always appreciate your expertise and advice. Oh, but can't, can't thank you enough. Can't wait to get up there and, and see everybody. So yeah, I'm excited. So I appreciate the opportunity. We hope to inspire people to reconnect with nature and appreciate where your food comes from by harvesting your own. For more information on getting started or to learn specifics about the Field to Fork experience, visit harvestyourown.ca and follow on Facebook and Instagram. Check back often for new material, recipes, and videos that are posted regularly. Please subscribe to Harvest Your Own Podcast and take the time to rate and review the show to help us build a dedicated core of passionate hunters as our regular audience. Until next time, embrace the outdoors and all it has to offer. Thanks for joining us.